Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's funny. That was my mom. My mom was like, a, she, she just listened to crazy stuff and enjoy kind of going off the edge. And that was very cool. So uh, it was very funny. It's funny how we have those preconceptions though, right? And we need to just bail on those preconceptions and just love on people and, and uh, hope and pray that we can invite and enjoy um, seeing our, our friends, our coworkers, our family, whoever it might be, come and meet the Jesus that we've met. And because uh, he, he's amazing. And we will discover that once again today. I just want to take a moment and pray. Um, today is day 19. Day 19 in our... Uh, 1040 prayer initiative and uh, 19 is restore it's a it's a little passage of scripture where we can ask God to restore um, people in in our lives and so let's pray for that and today we want to just pray that God restores one of the things that's beautiful about God and when he gives gets involved in our lives is he takes our lives and he makes it what it was originally intended to be because sin messes it up sin messes our whole life up and when he gets involved the Bible says we become a new creation, and all the old is gone and the new has come, and it's beautiful, beautiful uh, what God does for us. So let's pray and ask God to restore the hearts of people that we're praying for. Lord, we just come to you right now and believe that there are people that you want to restore. You love them so deeply and so dearly that you have sent us amazingly to go and love them and share with them your truth your love and lord we don't want them just meet our church we want them to meet you we want them to meet who you are and how much you love them and we thank you and praise you for that so we pray for every person on our prayer list right now that you would restore their lives to their original intent god and that was to have communion with you that was to have fellowship with you and that was to live forever with you and so, Lord, we pray that you just restore our friends, you restore our family, you restore our coworkers, anybody we come in contact with. God, I think of Timothy, I think of, of Philip, those two homeless people that I met, God, in, 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 in July, Lord, I pray that you just bless them right now in Jesus' name and restore their hearts, restore their bodies, restore their minds to their original intent. And we believe, God, that you are doing great things, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, that's all it takes to uh, pray for those that uh, we're praying for in, the ten, in, our, in our 1040 prayer initiative, and so I encourage you to do that. Get a prayer guide, get a prayer list like this, and if you need more, there's plenty out there, and we just encourage you to continue to pray and see God do some great things. We're in this series called Unlikely, Unlikely Moments with Jesus, and we've talked about some unlikely uh, situations, the, the woman caught in adultery um, with Jesus. And we talked about others. And, and today we're going to talk about another one. I just want to remind you of the main thought of this entire series. And that is that Jesus crossed cultural norms and boundaries to reveal himself to others. Jesus crossed cultural norms and boundaries to reveal himself to others. The need for people to know him and those who needed his touch caused him to oftentimes cross the lines of comfort. He was more Im involved and, and more concerned about touching people who needed a touch than what other people thought, which is what it should be about, right? It's, it, who cares 
what other people think. It, what matters is what God thinks. And what God wants to show to those around us who need his touch and his love. The big question we're trying to answer for this series are what boundaries or lines of comfort must we tear down so people who have yet to discover God's love, grace, and forgiveness can meet him? What boundaries have we been taught never to cross that we need to tear down so that we can cross those lines and touch the people that are there? I don't know. I've been I've brought up in church, and, I, and there were plenty of boundaries that I was taught never to cross. Things never to do. You know, and I, like, like play cards. I mean, I was taught not to play cards. And I get the whole gambling thing, but it was like no cards at all. Because they were a symbol of evil. When in reality, I've had the, some of the best times playing um, Uno. playing uh what's another one uh, speed with people not not speed like in a drug but speed the cards all those kinds of things and so um there's boundaries that we were taught that we need to be willing to cross that aren't sinful in and of themselves they they can become that way if we use them in the wrong way but and i get that but uh, ultimately if we connect with people um we're doing some really good things do you know anyone in your life that can finish your sentences? Do you know anybody? Husbands and wives? It's probably not a good practice to do this in marriage. Don't finish your spouse's sentences for them. Listen all the way to the end and then you'll get along a little better. Um, I'm not the best at that. And Karen's listening right now, so I have to be really truthful and honest with that. I, I, I sometimes try and finish her sentences, and I try, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're thinking. You know, those kinds of things. But uh, can, can you think of somebody that really does? They scare me. <laughs> you don't ever want those people to get mad at you, right? Because they can say, I know exactly what he's thinking. What he's saying isn't true. What he's thinking is, is this. And, and you get those people that really know you. They know you inside and out. They know everything about you. It's scary. It's frightening. Are, those, are, there, are there cultural boundaries that you don't cross, that you've been taught, don't go there because, and you check your words. As soon as you see somebody, you go, I would never talk to that person. I could never communicate to that person. I could never um, hang out with that person. I could never be with that person. And you, you have those things in your heart where you realize that the, you've established those boundaries and you live by them. You don't connect with people of that kind, whatever that kind is. Maybe there's those people in your life, whoever they are. And you, you kind of look at them and you, immediately you say, nope, I can't. That's not anybody that God's called me to. But maybe the reality is that God has called you specifically because you're in the vicinity. You're in the room with them. You're in the restaurant with them. You're in a store with them. You're in a, a, a workplace with them. All of a sudden, we need to understand that God is doing something unique. God is doing something unique unique the big thought in this message today is simply this god knows exactly who you are and he knows exactly what you've done there is somebody that knows your thoughts and could finish your sentences 
and knows everything, every intricate detail about you and your heart, your activities. When you're with people and when you're not with people, he knows everything. And he loves you. Isn't that cool? Regardless, regardless of what he knows about you, he still loves you. He still cares. There's another reality in this message today that we'll learn is that God is leading us to exactly where we need to be and meet exactly who needs Jesus. Believe it or not, every place you go and everything you do is significant to the opportunity of reaching somebody for Christ. You are where you are in your workplace, in your neighborhood, the grocery store you go to, the gas station you get gas at, the, 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 whatever the case may be. Wherever you are, God can use that opportunity and might most likely, if we're in tune with him, has a plan for that moment has a plan for that situation, has an opportunity. And even if it's just a smile sometimes, it's what God is doing. It's where God is at. It's in that moment. It is no accident where you live, work, shop, or have fun. God is using us to connect with people. God is using us to connect with people. This passage that we're going to look at today uh, has a background. It's in John chapter 4, verses 4 and following and uh, what's happening in this in this passage of scripture is that the pharisees are trying to incite a loyalty competition between jesus and john the baptist they've already accepted that john the baptist has a following and he even has disciples and um, but he's not a big threat because he's not claiming to be somebody special he's only claiming to introduce somebody special and so they're kind of dealing with, with that, and they're okay with John the Baptist being that for at least this little time. Um, but they've realized that what's happening with Jesus is that there's a popularity growing. And so they're inciting this loyalty competition between uh, Jesus and John the Baptist. And you'll see what I mean in just a moment. But So instead of fighting this battle of this loyalty that's going on, Jesus decides he's going to go from Judea to Galilee. Now, Judea is in the south, and Galilee's in the north. And so, um, it's, it's like Ventura and Santa Barbara. Okay, that's kind of, kind of, give you a little bit of a, a, a perspective. But in order to go to uh, Judea, or I mean Galilee, he has to go through Samaria. Samaria's in the middle. It's kind of like Galita. Okay, but what is true in this case is that there were two other options that Jesus could have gone. He could have gone the way of the beach or he could have gone the way of the, of the hills and he could have gone around Samaria, which is what most Jews did in this time, to avoid Samaria because the Jews did not hang out with Samaritans. Samaritans were um, a mixed breed, if you will. They were a mixed breed of, of, of Jew and Gentile, and they, they were uh, a mixed breed because they were overcome by the Assyrians. The Assyrians later, there's a lot of detail to that, but the bottom line is they were not um, <clears throat> considered real Jews. And Jews despised the Samaritans, and the Samaritans despised the Jews. And there's a big story behind that uh, that, that takes a little too much time to uh, get into. But what, so, so here we are, Ventura and, and Santa Barbara, and then there's this evil town called Goleta in the middle. And they're the Galicians. 
And you don't want to hang out with the Galatians. Because they mixed races between, I don't know who and who. We don't want to get into a race thing. Uh, Samaritans, actually the word Samaritan or the name Samaritan was used as a cuss word. Um, to call, if you wanted to get mad at a Jew, you could really say, you Samaritan. In our case, we'd say, you Galician. Not really. If you're from Galita, we love you. <laughs> I made sure I covered the base there. So here we go. John chapter 4, verses, verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now the, 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 the very first part of this I love. Because it says, now he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go, but he had to go. There were other routes that he could have taken, but Jesus, the, the Son of God, the one who spoke the worlds into existence, knew what was going to happen in Samaria. This is why it's so important that we don't ever, ever undersell why we're where we are. Why God made you go to Costco on a day that you didn't want to go to Costco? Or why you, you stopped at this gas station versus that gas station? Or why your neighbor needed some attention that day and, and they called you up and said, hey, I, we need to talk. These are not interruptions. These are plans. He's, this is something intentional. And Jesus being the all-knowing, all-powerful, uh, ever-present God, understood that he had to go through Samaria. This was not an option. He had to cross cultural barriers. He had to go into an uncomfortable place to meet with someone. In verse 7 it says, When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy some taquitos. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, that's a unique thing right there because of many different reasons. The Jews never, were uh, teachers of the law were never to talk to women in public and especially a Samaritan woman, you were never to talk in public and he had no tools to gather water and so it meant that he was also gonna drink from something from a Samaritan woman. And so the first revelation that this woman has of Jesus is that in verse, uh, verse 9, is it says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. So the very first thing she realizes is he's a Jew. That's it. And she says, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? In other words, you're crossing so many cultural lines here, Jesus. What are you doing? Has there been a time in your life where all of a sudden you're in a place and people are going, what? Why, why are you there? What, what, what are you doing there? You don't belong there. You're a Christian. 
You shouldn't be in that place. You shouldn't be in that space. You shouldn't be with that person. You shouldn't be, what, what are you doing there? And yet Jesus is being asked by the very person he's there to love, what are you doing? And people might look at you and go, man, your, your kind never talks to me. Why are you talking to me? Why are you giving me attention? Why are you spending time in my presence? Why are you being nice to me? Your kind doesn't normally do that. He's crossing all kinds of boundaries. He's crossing the comfort boundary. Rabbis don't speak to strange women in public. Um, <clears throat> cultural boundaries. Jews don't speak to, with Samaritans. And he's, he's actually crossing a culinary boundary. He's drinking out of her water jar. What's the modern-day version of, of this kind of thing? It would be a Republican talking to a Democrat. A Republicrat. A gay and straight person talking with each other. A homeless and a homebound person talking with each other. A rich and a poor person talking with each other. A religious or irreligious person talking to each other. How about the ultimate, a Prius and an F-350 person? talking to each other. If you don't know what an F-350 is, it's a Ford truck that sucks gas. A Prius just sucks. And I'm sorry. Is that okay to say? I don't think I've ever said that from the pulpit. I could, I'm going to get an email. I know it. I know it. There's all kinds of different people that talk and, and when, when are we going to cross those boundaries? When are we going to open that door and say, I don't talk to anybody about Jesus? Why, can we, why can't we talk to opposites? Because we've created barriers, because we've built walls, because we've, we've told people or told ourselves that we can't do that. But there's no barrier for love. There's no boundary, there's no cultural crossing that we can't do. I believe that, you know, short of sin, just about anything is possible. We're never to sin, we're never to involve ourselves in that, but we are to cross those boundaries. Verse 10 says, Jesus answered her, if you knew, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I missed a little part of it. She said, how can you ask me for a drink? And then he says in verse 10, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew. Here's the reality. We, th we thought, and most people think even today, especially in the Christian world, that we live in a Christian nation. We don't. In fact, the youngest generation right now, it, studies say that they will be the first godless generation in America. This is why, number one, we have to be 100% committed to kids. This is why we have to be considered a kids' ministry. We have to be considered, uh, uh, committed to um, ministering to kids, helping kids understand Jesus. But more importantly, what we do here at Journey is we partner with parents. Because really, we only have 30 to 40 hours a year with children, when in reality, parents have 3,000, 4,000 hours with their children of influence time. 
And if we don't leverage that time by partnering with parents, that's why we say every weekend we say we have materials available to you online, we have materials available to you on site, because we want to partner with you, the parent, so that you have all the tools you need to build these little disciples. At, at, at 18 months, 19 months, I'm taking a little brookie bear and saying, brookie bear, can you tell me the scriptures? Can you say, uh, for God so loved the world, John 3.16. We make it into a song. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. Anything I can do to get the gospel into the hearts of our children, we are going to do that. We are going to do everything we can to, to do what we can to make an irresistible environment for our children and an irresistible environment for parents. People don't know. And Jesus understood that this woman didn't know. He said, if you knew, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. People don't know. And they need to know. She says in verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She's thinking in the practical. She's thinking in the natural. She's not thinking of her soul and her spirit yet. This is a conversation, and this is something that we all need to understand. Leading people to Jesus is a process. Leading people to Jesus is a progressive work. And so he, she first realizes that, she, that, that Jesus is a Jew. The second thing that she realizes is that she, he might be greater than Jacob. Listen to the statement. He says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? So she's starting to realize there's something special about this guy talking to her. And that's what we hope happens in all of our interactions with people is that they begin to not see us, but they begin to see there's something different. What is it that's different? What is it that's crossing that, that line of, of, of normal to you're a little bit abnormal? Not weird, just abnormal, something different. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's the promise. That's the promise. Yes, he is better than Jacob. The Samaritans had a very unique connection to Jacob. They were, they were a part of his, his lineage. They were part of the, the, the family. And Joseph was significant in their lives. And, and, and they held on to knowing that in Samaria was Jacob's well. And so there was a unique connection there. The woman in verse 15 said, uh, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She's still in the natural. She's still thinking, I, I, th this, is, this is just water he's talking about. It's not life. It's, and he said eternal life already. So there's a spiritual component that he's already added to the conversation that she's missing. And trust me, you will have many conversations with people in our world today 
We will have many conversations, and they will still be thinking, what's in it for me? What's, how does this benefit me? How does this work for me? And, and they will miss it sometimes. And you may have to repeat yourself. You may have to come back and give it another angle, another look at, whatever the case may be. But we have to understand that people need to process. And Jesus had no problem with that. In verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come back. This is a tough spot right here. This is where Jesus has some knowledge about her that is supernatural. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So this woman is breaking down spiritually. She's, she's realizing that she can't hide the truth. She needs to tell the truth. That, that, that this person in front of her is somebody that is uniquely different than most other people, if not all other people. He knows us. He knows us. This is such an important part of understanding as Christians, and even if you're here today and you're kicking the tires of faith and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to know this one thing that's so true. Is he knows us inside and out. Mostly inside. <laughs> he knows what's going on in there. He knows what's happening. He knows, he knows everything about us. And what's so beautiful about this is that this did not keep Jesus from talking to her. How often do we look and we have this bias, we have this prejudice, we have this something in our heart that looks at, at people and goes, nope, nope, I'm not going to do that there. They're, they're too far gone. Or they're not my type. I don't like talking to that type of person. How could I ever relate? How could I ever connect? How could I ever? And we make a judgment. And we make this statement that says, you know, I... God loves you, but I'm just not the person to do that. We have to get beyond those stereotypes, and we have to get beyond that thinking. We have to understand that in Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The biggest and best act he could ever do is die for us, and he did it while we were still sinners. while we were still sinners. You see, his love isn't conditional upon our acceptance. Our salvation is conditional upon our salvation. Our acceptance of his love, our reception of his love. His love will never end. His love will never stop pursuing. His love will never stop trying. His love will never stop uh, working on our hearts and our spirits. Never. And the only condition is that we accept it. We say, God, I accept your love. I accept who you are. I accept the grace that you're willing to give me. That's why we say that the Journey Church exists to enter into the journeys of those who have yet to discover God's love, grace, and forgiveness. Yeah, when we get in that journey, when we get in that path with somebody, and we merge into their lives, there's some power there because we bring Jesus with us. And it's him we want them to meet, not us but him. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. 
There's the third process, third step in her process. First it was a Jew, then I see that you're greater than Jacob, or you might be, and now he's a prophet. And that was a big deal in this culture. When you have the ability to see into somebody's life supernaturally, she was beginning to realize, whoa, this is way beyond what I expected to get other than water. She just came to the well. By, this, by the way, this was at noon. Most women would come like five, six in, in, in the cooler parts of the day. She was there in the hottest part of the day because she was an embarrassment to her community. She didn't want to face the judgmental looks and thoughts and all those words that could be said about her because she's had five husbands and she's in an affair right now and she's having an affair with somebody right now and, and, she, and, and the community knows. So she's there likely by herself. And Jesus is talking to her. Verse 21 says, um, oh, I'm sorry, but let's finish uh, verse 20. It says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Samaritans had a different um, place because they were hated by the Jews. And at one point, the Jews or the Samaritans asked if they could come and help build the temple. The Jews said no, because you're a mixed race. And so the Samaritans went ahead and built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, which is another significant religious place. But um, because of that, they had two different worshiping places, and they, they worshiped idols. They, they got involved in all that. And so um, verse 21 says, Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You're not going to worry about the temple. In other words, the temple is insignificant to a relationship with God. And this is a big deal to her. And, and you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, which is true. It's from Jesus. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, no longer will the temple or a physical place be significant. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the place where God dwells and this is the place of worship and therefore should be the biggest place of expression of worship. It should just flow out of us. I love our church because it's a lively, loves to worship. It loves to embrace this, this worship time that we experience. And so he says that you're going to find a new place to worship and it's going to be wherever you are because the Spirit lives in you. Wow, our world worships a lot of different things. And it's going to be part of our conversation because people come in, into our world and they, they come into their, our circumstance or we go into their circumstance and we realize what's important to them. And we realize what they prioritize. We realize what they put before everything else. And we have to help them process that have to help them walk through that and realize that there's no other thing worth giving our lives to than Jesus. And that is a process. And we finish this revelation by this last statement in verse 25. It says, the woman said, I know that Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So she is, as part Jew, part Gentile, understands and she's been brought up to understand that the Messiah is coming. Then verse 26, Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, 
I am he. <laughs> There's no more important moment in someone's life when they meet the real Jesus. And they understand that Jesus is their savior. They understand that Jesus loves them. They understand that Jesus, although they have been laid bare, this woman has been laid bare, five husbands, one affair, been laid completely bare. And now Jesus is saying, I am the one who's talking to you. I am the life that you are looking for. I am the one that's going to give you hope and eternal life. I am the one that you need to put your faith in. Stop at Mount Gerizim. Stop looking at Jews the way you do and believe that Jesus is the salvation of the world. So she goes back to town. In verse 39, we're going to skip over part of this passage. In verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. How often would you brag about that? Hey, there's this guy that just told me everything I ever did. <laughs> and you guys know what I've done. Right? I mean, this was not, this was public, man. This was like, this was her life being laid bare by Jesus. And then her knowing that the town knows that she's had five husbands and is now currently in an affair. And I would not be going back and saying, I, there's this guy out here that's telling me everything I've done. I, I, I'm going to stay away from him. That's not a popular story. That's not, that's not something to go to brag about. But she said it in this way that says, there's a prophet, there's somebody that understands me, there's somebody that gets me and loves me regardless. There was something different about that story. There was something different that said, I've, Jesus knows everything about me, but he still loves me. I think there was far more than what's recorded in this little moment here that she said to the people of Sychar. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days in Sychar in Samaria. How long are we willing to stay in the context of a difficult, uncomfortable, cross-cultural setting? And because of his words, many more became believers. That's it. Woo. And because of his words, how many times have you told your story? This is one of the most important things we can do as Christians, is learn and remember our story and tell it. No one can take your story away. No one can take what you've experienced on a personal level and take it away and say, no, you didn't experience that. Yes, yes I did. Oh, you just, you, you know, that's, that's like insanity. Well, I'm probably the craziest believer in Christ ever. I'm not sure why those lights came on, but if you like the lights, enjoy it. Here's, here's, here's another thing. <clears throat> I want to make sure you understand this. She went from at the well... Believing in Jesus, 
to becoming a witness. Wait a minute. You're supposed to go through theology. You're supposed to be in a small group for the rest of your life. You're supposed to study. You know, wait a minute. You have to go through core. No. The minute you become a Christian, you become a witness. In fact, what they're finding in studies is that most of us have completely abandoned our non-Christian circles, and now we only have Christian circles, which has made us ineffective in becoming a witness in our world. The most effective witnesses today are those that are, current, are new believers, and before they hit that two-year mark, they are the most effective witnesses. That's what studies are showing. And we have to turn that around to where we are just as passionate whenever. And we are putting our heart and our connection to everybody we can and putting ourselves in circumstances and, and, and cultural uh, situations where we might be uncomfortable, but the witness needs to still be there, right? And so if we don't have non-Christian friends, if we don't have people that we aren't loving to Jesus, we're, we're missing out on an opportunity. We're not being missional or on mission with Jesus. And so last part of the scripture says, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is, listen, the savior of <laughs> that's what we want we want people to come and, and say okay i've heard your story now i just need to go meet the jesus you've been talking about and they can do that at church they can do that with you in prayer they can do that in another setting whatever the case may be we want people to meet jesus and when they do he takes over and he's the convincing part of the story isn't he He's the one that makes a difference. So today, who are you in this story? Are you the woman at the well? And your heart has been laid bare. Not by me, not by anybody else, but by Jesus and you talking in this very moment. He knows you. Are you the disciples who went to town to get food and came back and tried to distract Jesus? And I didn't even talk about that. Are you the townspeople? that have heard the story, but have yet to make your own decision, but you're interested in Jesus. And when you hear his voice, you will become a believer. And maybe you're Jesus. We are representatives of his body, his life, and we're walking into cultural situations and circumstances where we need to say, Jesus, use me to represent you to this world. No matter who you are, no matter where you fit in this story, there's a significant moment for you. To answer the call, all Christians should be thinking, I want to be Jesus in this story. All of us should imagine and dream and hope for those moments where we cross those cultural lines and get in those uncomfortable situations, but bring Jesus with us. All of us, if you're, if you're an, a, a person like this woman at the well and you feel like, man, I, there's nothing that Jesus would love about me, it's not true. This story makes it very clear, very clear that he loves you and cares about you. I picked out a song, actually, 
Leanna picked out a song that she was going to sing in the beginning of worship, but I thought it fit better here. I want you to just listen to the words. The words will be on the screen and pick up the meaning of this song because Jesus loves you. If you're online, he loves you and he wants to meet with you and he will give you everything he's got to touch your heart. And at the end of this song, I'll be right back to end our service today.
give you everything he's got. He holds nothing back. Maybe you're a Christian here today and you just walked in discouraged, frustrated, hurting, going through difficult times. Maybe you've made some mistakes you regret. And today God wants you to know he loves you no matter what. Yeah. Maybe you're here today and you were brought by a friend or, or whatever the case may be. Maybe you're online and you're just clicking through things and trying to figure out life. God simply just wants to say he loves you. He cares about you. He knows you. He knows your circumstance and he loves you beyond measure. And today you have the opportunity to accept this all in God. All in God who says, I love you no matter what. I love you regardless of the circumstances that you're in. And we will get beyond that together, he says to you. And we as a church commit to get beyond that with you. So I want to invite you this moment to say, Jesus, forgive me of mistakes I've made. Forgive me of the sin I've committed that separated me from you. And Lord, I accept that forgiveness. You were all in when you died on the cross. You were all in when you hung on that cross and said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And Lord, that forgiveness is for me today. And I receive that forgiveness. And I believe that you were raised from the dead. Now I am promised eternal life. And I commit to follow you with the rest of my life. And I praise you and I thank you, God, for saving my soul today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.